This is the Law and the Future of War podcast, brought to you from the University of Queensland Law School. Through conversation with experts in technology, law and military affairs, this series explores how international law regulates new military technologies. Well, today marks a sad day for the Law and Future of War team because Eve Massingham is leaving our team as she's ending her time with the project. But before she goes, we're talking to her one last time about IHL and ensuring respect, and in particular, the entertainment industry. Our listeners will be familiar with Eve and her work, and she's been on both sides of the microphone for the podcast in the past. But today, we'll be talking to her specifically about her article, Entertainment and the Laws of War, the role of states in their interactions with the entertainment industry in order to ensure respect for international humanitarian law. Eve, thank you for joining us. And first up, it's going to be sad to see you go, but congratulations on moving on. Thank you very much, Lauren. Second, what does the entertainment industry have to do with IHL? At first, the link seems pretty tenuous, uh, doesn't it? Mm. But Listeners will have heard the podcast with Sebastian Kemp, or if you haven't, I encourage you to listen to it in conjunction with this one. And you'll note that there is actually an incredible amount of state involvement, government involvement in the entertainment industry. And these linkages between the entertainment industry and the state are not new. They're they're longstanding, they're comprehensive, and they exist in a, a range of different jurisdictions. And are very deliberately exploited to ensure that support is only given for the projects that do meet with government approval, where the government has the ability to give that approval. And so this really strong linkage means that there is scope for influence between the government and the entertainment industry. And so the argument that I make in the paper that you've mentioned, which is in the uh, Media and Arts Law Review, is that there is this influence and it should be used for good and it should be used in a way that makes the entertainment industry and the state insofar as its obligations in relation to the industry do what they can to bring about respect for the laws of war. And so this particular piece is about the entertainment industry but of course that's just one facet of life and so perhaps to give a bit more background to the project, just to note that for a number of years, about a decade, I've been doing bits and pieces of work which build on my PhD thesis. And also, if I can take the opportunity to to credit my uh, wonderful colleague and and co-editor, Annabelle McConaughey, just in terms of a number of really great conversations over the last decade around what all of us in all aspects of our society can do to respect the laws of war. And so, In the work that I've done, I've sought to draw on different parts of our society, like the entertainment industry, but Annabelle and I have a book, Ensuring Respect for International Humanitarian Law, and we have a great range of contributors talking about different aspects of society and what both the state and the industry or the individuals themselves can do to respect IHL in all of those facets of life. And so how all of us can give effect to the obligation to uh, respect and ensure respect for international humanitarian law. And perhaps just to say this is a a recent project, but the idea that you can't just have IHL coming in a legal sense is a really long-standing one. And I found this great quote from Alexander Pierce Higgins in some early 1900s work, who talks about the fact that the apostles of the propaganda of international humanitarian law must of necessity be statesmen and lawyers 
but also all classes of the community in every nation so that everyone can cooperate for fuller knowledge of the rules. And I sort of paraphrase a little bit there. So this is a project about the entertainment industry and international humanitarian law. And my overarching question, I guess, is what can each industry or each facet of life do to make a contribution to respect international law? I appreciate that there is a general moral obligation for people to try and uphold international humanitarian law, but where is there a state obligation or how do states have responsibilities here when we're talking about regulating private industry? Isn't the entertainment industry separate from government? Absolutely. So there's a couple of facets to this. First, there's a clear legal obligation on the states, and that's an obligation found in Common Article 1 to all four of the Geneva Conventions and additional protocols 1 and 3 of the Geneva Conventions, and that's an obligation to respect and ensure respect for the laws of war in all circumstances. And so that's an obligation that is on states. It's on the state parties to the Geneva Conventions. But to give effect to that and to have respect for the laws of war within their jurisdiction, of course, states have to use their influence over other actors within their jurisdiction, including private actors. And so wherever there is an ability for states to have that influence, and in the entertainment industry, as Sebastian and his colleagues talk about it, and as I talk about, there are such strong linkages and such state interest that those linkages and that interest should be used in order to tell stories that enhance our understanding of and appreciation for the laws of war. So it's, it is a legal obligation on the state. What it actually looks like in practice is very varied and that's that's what my work goes to. And while there is no specific legal obligation on the industry itself, its close relationship with the state when it comes to military themes and military stories I argue, places a a legal obligation on the state to ensure that their support of the industry is not in violation of their obligations. But also, I would argue that there are some actions that the industry itself can undertake to better ensure respect for the laws of war. So can we just zoom in then on those obligations to ensure respect? Because we're not talking about the entertainment industry committing atrocities here. We're talking about them showing a movie. So is it really just about influence or training or dissemination? What's the precise obligation we're talking about? Look, it's definitely about all of those things. And it's certainly not suggesting that the entertainment industry has any responsibility for international crimes in in violation of the laws of war as such. What it's saying is that states have a range of ways in which they influence any industry. But if we talk about the Entertainment industry, financial, obviously providing support for projects, providing tax breaks, providing incentives for films to be filmed in a particular place, a range of sort of regulatory benefits and supports. And also in some cases, you know, as has been detailed in the work that Sebastian Kempf and Tom Secker and others have done, really direct assistance, like supplying the military hardware for the film, allowing the filming to take place in a particular location script writing, changing content, providing editing support, perhaps support is in inverted commas there because it's sort of forced as part of the deal. We will support this project if you change these aspects of the paper. So through providing this funding, this content, location, prop support, regulating the industry in a particular way, there's a great deal of things that the state can do to have influence. And so my argument is that the state should use this influence to make sure that 
they're not distorting an accurate representation of the laws of war. They're not blocking storylines that can teach an audience about the laws of war. It's not to say that everything needs to be perfectly factual at all. You can still have entertainment, you can still have stories, but have an indication that there are consequences for actions, for example. There's certainly not a one-size-fits-all solution. It's a suggestion for the industry to think about the obligation and for states to do what they can, use the influence that they do have to do it. Another example I talk a little bit about in the paper is the industry itself. So the industry itself is an example in, in the United Kingdom with basically trying to recruit former members of the armed forces into the film industry to employ those skills on a film set. And I would argue that through these sorts of collaborations, the film industry is seeking to ensure the credibility of their work from a military perspective. And so the credibility of that work should include an accurate representation of the laws of war. That really prompts me to think about an example in Australia about the impact of the entertainment industry and influencing public sentiment in terms of ensuring respect. So I'm thinking in particular about the Breaker Morant movie and the sustained public campaign to try and exonerate him for the war crimes he committed during the Boer War as a consequence largely because of how he was depicted in that movie, despite there being contrary evidence and quite clear evidence about him executing prisoners who were in his control, which is a clear breach of the laws of armed conflict, even as they stood during the Boer War. So my question to you is, with the Breaker Morant example in mind, what do you think the industry should be doing in terms of character development or editing of scripts to try and represent those laws of armed conflict obligations from ensuring respect to ensuring accountability at the back end? So I think the obligation on the industry itself can't be put any higher than to think about these things, to think about the contribution that they can make. There's been a process by the International Committee of the Red Cross to update the commentaries to the Geneva Conventions. And so they've looked in a lot of detail at this obligation to respect and ensure respect for international humanitarian law. And what it's really come down to in terms of what that might mean is around using the capacity and the influence that you have. And in the entertainment industry, that looks very different from other industries. You've still got to make a commercial success. You've still got to make interesting stories. But to deliberately misrepresent international humanitarian law in a situation that you are purporting to be a, based on a factual situation seems problematic and, and unnecessary. So being conscious and being aware and thinking about these things and trying to support as a member of the community, as Alexander Pierce Higgins would suggest, all of us can play a role. And there are examples. There are some great examples. And again, not entirely accurate, not entirely positive, of course, but some good examples of bringing awareness and attention to international humanitarian law that have, have been commercial success. I mean, the long-running television show MASH, of course, has educated generations of us about the legal and ethical requirements of military medical personnel to treat the wounded and sick from all sides to the conflict. So that's a, a really powerful message that so many people know is part of the Geneva Conventions because of MASH. The Monuments Man is another example that I refer to in the, in the paper. Some of the listeners may have seen it, introducing a reminder to watchers about the idea of protection of cultural property in times of armed conflict and the significance of that. And there are lots of other examples as well. So I'm certainly not 
putting out there like a, a really strict, you've got to do X, Y, and Z in any given circumstance, but a call for states and the industry to think about the contribution that they can make using the capacity and the influence. And as we've seen, the influence of the entertainment industry is enormous. So diverting slightly from movies now and thinking about video games, the conduct of individuals in in the course of video games, there are a number of arguments out there about the general desensitization to violence that's occurring as a consequence of the types of games that people are playing. There's been a resultant increase in classification of a lot of those video games. But what influence do you think that genre of entertainment has had in terms of compliance or non-compliance or desensitization to the laws of armed conflict? So there are lots of scholars with expertise on this who talked about it. I certainly don't have any qualifications in psychology or or any credentials to offer there, but I have referenced some of the, the scholarship on this around the influence of video games on conflict. And I think there are some concerning issues raised and have tried to build on the work, which has very much started by the International Committee of the Red Cross in terms of trying to integrate international humanitarian law into game designs to try and provide a better and more ethical and real experience for gamers. And kind of this question around, well, why can't video games be a positive medium for influence to reinforce understanding and respect of international humanitarian law? And why can't players be rewarded for compliance, perhaps, in games? So these are are obviously optimistic goals. And there is and has been a lot of work in the video game space in particular that we, I guess, need to keep reminding those with capacity and influence of the contribution that they can make to respect for the laws of war. Talking about influence and we're talking about state influencing media or entertainment that people are digesting, is that in itself a risk when we're talking about states using the industry to send out or to influence their interpretations of international law so that we would see, for example, a an American slant on IHL versus an Australian slant on IHL? Is there a propaganda risk here? Yes, of course. I don't think this risk is any different to the entertainment industry becoming a propaganda in terms of state positions on almost any issue. And we have seen it in the freedom of information requests and the research Sebastian has mentioned, it's very clear that states have offices that use the entertainment industry to get across military messages. And I'm sure Seb referenced it as well. And it's the stock standard reference, of course, that the US Navy specifically saw Top Gun back in the 80s, not so sure about the the current one, but the 80s version of Top Gun was a US Navy recruitment tool. So absolutely, there is a risk that the entertainment industry would be used to put forward state positions, but that's the risk that is actually already happening. It's not a new risk, that's already what's going on. And so really the call here is to say, well, look, more work needs to be done to encourage states to use the influence that they have to further compliance with their international legal obligations. I guess that comes down to transparency generally, doesn't it, about interaction between states and private industry. Are you aware of suggestions you could implement practices like the requirement to disclose political advertising? You have to have that little disclaimer, authorised by, blah, 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 at a million miles an hour at the back end of the, the ad. Is that some way we could sort of try and protect ourselves against this? Do you think that there is any examples out there of good practice in that transparency of state influence? 
Yeah, and look, I think the disclaimer thing is mentioned in the Theatres of War documentary that no doubt Sebastian has told you about, and we can also include a link to that here. And yeah, when I watched that documentary, I was absolutely fascinated that so many movies and episodes of shows that I had seen and was familiar with were written to such an extent by the government, and I didn't know that. So anything like that, is useful because it raises our awareness. It makes us realise that there are international legal obligations that states have. And this is not the biggest problem in the world and it's not a problem where there is one solution. It's just part of a global discourse and education around all of us understanding international humanitarian law more broadly. As the Geneva Conventions require, states must make sure not just their militaries, but their people know about the laws of war. And that's one way of doing it to make us realise the influence that the government may have had in the story and how it's told. Do you have any thoughts then on the interaction between the entertainment industry and non-compliance with IHL? I and mean, we've talked about demonstrating how the industry can show if you do this, this is the consequence or there's an obligation to protect cultural property or respect the wounded and sick or treat the wounded and sick rather. So any thoughts about that non-compliance piece? So by telling the stories that show the consequences of the IHL violations that celebrate the application of IHL compliance, then the industry can help to contribute to an attitude of respect for the laws of war. And so my overarching kind of concluding argument is that if the entertainment industry does not call out the violations of the law for what they are, then they undermine the project of international law, which seeks to ensure accountability for such conduct. And think at many points in history, but this being a particular point in history where the project of international law seeking to ensure accountability for conduct is as pressing as and as important as ever. We've talked about then the influence of states in ensuring respect for international humanitarian law and the influence that they are having on the entertainment industry in doing that. The entertainment industry itself and the way that we are engaging internationally is becoming more multinational. Do we think that there is more of a role or is there a role for international organisations in ensuring respect through the entertainment industry? I think there is an increasing role for international organisations in ensuring respect for international humanitarian law, full stop. International law and international legal instruments are, I think, increasingly recognising the role of international organisations. I I use the example of the Kampala Convention, which is a regional instrument for the protection of internally displaced peoples in Africa, as an example of an international legal instrument, a regional instrument that specifically identifies international organisations as having particular obligations. And so, yes, I think there is a role and it's been an underutilised role for all actors, states, non-state actors, private actors, international organisations to play in ensuring respect for international law. And that's really what the project that I've been working on and involved with proposing practically what might that look like in different areas of our lives. So Eve's ideal world, every time she goes to the movies or turns on the TV or opens up a video game, what does that look like when it comes to ensuring respect? It looks like there's been some thought on the issue. I don't think even in my ideal world, I don't think that every movie would 
necessarily have a really obvious, well, hopefully every movie doesn't have a really obvious link to the topic that we're talking about. But even the ones that do, it's never going to be a perfect solution. But that all actors, but states and the entertainment industry that we're talking about here, particularly think about these things and that we increasingly start to see more and more examples of where stories are being told that celebrate the application of of IHL compliance or allow the industry to contribute to the attitude of of respect um, for the laws of war. And perhaps demonstrate that compliance with international humanitarian law usually results in uh, increased compliance and safety and security for everybody involved in conflict. Absolutely. Fantastic. If you wanted to get smart on this particular area or wanted to look at more research on this particular area, noting we've spoken to Seb about his fantastic movie already, going to be speaking to Shiri about her drone visuals and drone cinema paper. And we're also speaking to Dale Stevens about his Star Wars war crimes piece as part of our entertainment series. Other than those references, where would you direct people to look into this issue in more depth? So if I could perhaps just say that I really can't recommend highly enough the Theatres of War documentary. I just, I found it really, really interesting to watch. So another plug for Seb and his colleagues' movie. I think there is a lot of work that has been done on sort of trying to understand the linkages between viewing violence and the like, but really this idea of linking that to ensuring respect for international humanitarian law, I think is a, a pretty new one. It's very self-interested, of course, but more broadly sort of on the idea that in all aspects of our lives, there is more that can be done to ensure respect. I would mention the work that I did with Animal McConaughey, so Ensuring Respect for International Humanitarian Law, a Routledge publication from 2020. And there is some wonderful contributions to that book by people from all around the world and in different um, themes. But I do find myself repeatedly coming back to particularly brilliant scholars and practitioners. So Catherine Drummond and Sarah McCosker, who have chapters in that book on sort of the roles of states and private actors in ensuring respect. And I cite them in this paper and in other work that I've done. And I'd really recommend those two chapters in particular to listeners. Thank you for your time, Eve. We really appreciate it, noting that you are busy wrapping up your time at UQ. So you've got quite a lot of matters that you're attending to at the moment. So we appreciate you taking time out of that busy schedule to talk to us. We will, of course, put those references in the show notes. And hopefully we'll be talking to you again in your future roles. And best of luck with your future endeavours. And thanks again for your time. Thanks, Lauren. This podcast was made by the Law and the Future of War Research Group at the University of Queensland Law School. A full list of episodes and links to additional material, as well as our contact details, are available on our website. Just search for Law and the Future of War. This podcast was recorded on the unceded lands of the Turrbal and Yagara peoples. We pay our respects to their elders past and present.